Mormonism 101, a book by Mormonism Research Ministries' Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson, has helped many who want to understand what separates Mormonism from the Christian faith. Mormonism 101 is available at your favorite Christian bookstore or online at mrm.org. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Hoping you're having a very pleasant Friday. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We've been looking at a talk that was given by an LDS apostle by the name of Dale G. Renlin. He gave this in the Saturday evening session of conference on April 2nd, 2022. It was the General Conference Women's Session. So this tells us that they were primarily Latter-day Saint women that were listening to his talk. He bases this talk off of what is known as the young women theme. And this young women theme has various truths. And what he's doing is he's going through these various truths and expounding on them. And we found that there's a lot of very interesting uh, topics within this theme. The big issue is the fact that there is a heavenly mother. And we've been talking about how this doctrine of a heavenly mother is not found anywhere in the LDS standard works. It's not in the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants. We believe that this kind of became a doctrine over a period of time as a result of perhaps some things that Joseph Smith said to some women privately. It was also talked about in a hymn that was written by Eliza Roxy Snow, who was a plural wife of Joseph Smith and also the sister of the fifth president of the church, Lorenzo Snow. But now we're to the third truth that is in this young women theme that Dale Renlin cites, and that is a divine nature. He said, this is intrinsic to who we are. It is spiritually genetic inherited from our heavenly parents and requires no effort on our part. Now, yesterday, Eric, we were talking about how Renlin cautions people against speculating. But yet, as an outsider reading this, when he says it is spiritually genetic, now in the written text, genetic has quotation marks around it. I don't know if he put the little air quotations when he said it, but wouldn't saying that it is spiritually genetic, a type of speculation on his part? Now, he might argue, well, we believe that our God is an exalted human being. Well, that would seem to imply that their God might have DNA. But that's not an issue that we as Christians would ever need to contemplate because our God was always God. He's a God of spirit. So DNA would not even be an issue. So right here, I'm thinking he's talking about a different God than the God that we are talking about. But then he goes on in in that paragraph to say, remember that your most important identity relates to your divine nature as a child of God. And earlier in the week, we were talking about the consequences of that kind of a doctrine. Because if, in fact, you're going to say that God loves you perfectly, and that's exactly what Dale Renlin said, what does that really mean if you're a child of God and yet you find yourself in the lower of the three levels of heaven, the telestial kingdom? Do you experience this 
perfect love of God, the same as, let's say, an individual who was perfect enough to be in the celestial kingdom. Now, personally, I don't think any Latter-day Saint qualifies to be in the celestial kingdom, according to the dictates of LDS theology, but certainly this is something that faithful members are aspiring to. But then he's going to go on to what he calls the fourth truth, is that we have an eternal destiny. He says, such a destiny will not be forced on us. After death, we will receive what we have qualified for and, quote, enjoy only that which we are willing to receive, end quote. Realizing our eternal destiny is dependent on our choices. It requires making and keeping sacred covenants. This covenant path is the way we come onto Christ and is based on absolute truth and eternal, unchanging law. We cannot create our own path and expect God's promised outcomes. To expect his blessings while not following the eternal laws upon which they are predicated is misguided, like thinking we can touch a hot stove and decide not to be burned. This goes back to what I was just saying a little bit earlier. Realizing our eternal destiny is dependent on our choices. He says, after death, we receive what we have been qualified for. Certainly, this is language that speaks of personal effort. And if it speaks of personal effort, and that personal effort is necessary in order to fully enjoy that perfect love of God. See, this is where I keep going back with this. All Latter-day Saints believe that they are children of God, but here we have Renlin himself saying that it's necessary that we make and keep sacred covenants. What is involved in those sacred covenants? Keeping all the commandments. But you ask any Latter-day Saint, the best they're going to probably tell you is that they're trying their best to keep the commandments. Is a Latter-day Saint who realizes that they're doing their best to keep the commandments, but if God is going to be true to his word and he cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance, and they find themselves in the telestial kingdom, is that Latter-day Saint going to be thinking that they are experiencing this alleged perfect love of God? And if they wouldn't, then what is Renlin trying to get across to his listeners in this this conference message. I think personally, it becomes very confusing. And as we cited earlier in the week, he likes to turn to Romans chapter 8 that talks about the love of God. But that doesn't fit just any old creation of God. Those verses only fit those who become children of God by faith in what Christ did for them. We're talking about the three degrees of glory in Doctrine and Covenants, section 88. It talks about what you have to do to be able to gain the celestial kingdom, which is uh, synonymous with eternal life or exaltation. You have to abide the law of a celestial kingdom, and otherwise you're not going to be able to get a celestial glory. If you're going to abide the law of a terrestrial glory, then that's what you're going to get. If it's celestial glory, that's what you're going to get. So it's based on you and your efforts, and so opposite of what Christianity teaches. It's all based on what God has done for us, not what we do for God. 
Well, he says something that's very interesting here later on. He says, the same is true for us. Heavenly Father's prescribed path leads to the best eternal outcomes. We are free to choose, but we cannot choose the consequences of not following the revealed path. The Lord has said, that which breaketh a law and abideth not by law, but seeketh to become a law unto itself, cannot be sanctified by law, neither by mercy justice, or judgment. I would think that would probably strike fear in a lot of his listeners. Because you see, as a Christian, I certainly don't want the kind of justice I deserve. Because I deserve the justice that would mean I should be condemned for my sins. I need mercy. Now, it's interesting that mercy is listed in that verse. In this verse, Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verse 35, according to the footnote 20. But if that's true, think about that, that a person who doesn't abide by the law, wouldn't we have to say, though, Eric, that every Latter-day Saint doesn't abide by the law? None of them are abiding by the law. The law brings condemnation, as I said earlier. And the reason why so many Latter-day Saints feel guilty in their own religion is because that proves they're trying to be saved by law. Law brings guilt. Why? Because you cannot live up to the law. If you break one of the commandments, it's as if you've broken all of them, according to James 2.10. I don't know if I'd find a lot of comfort in this. I appreciate his honesty, though because I don't think this is a talk, your divine nature and eternal destiny, that a Christian would listen to and say, man, we really are close. When he says, we cannot deviate from Heavenly Father's course and then blame him for inferior outcomes, well, that goes back to what I just cited from DNC 88. You have to abide the celestial law if you're going to attain a celestial glory. That's what Mormonism teaches. So I do appreciate his frankness here in this section. But wouldn't you say it's, it's a bit confusing when he uses language about how God loves you perfectly and things like that? It gives the impression almost to the point where, well, it doesn't really seem to matter what I do. He still loves me nonetheless. And I would think most Latter-day Saints, if they're honest with themselves, they would say, I realize I fall short so many times of the glory of God. Well, that would make sense because that's exactly what Romans 3.23 tells all of us. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This goes back to my earlier premise, and that is, how is this language to be understood by these women that are listening to Dale Renlund? I mean, it sounds good on the surface. It sounds comforting. But yet, when he starts getting into the real dirt of it all, when he talks about how you need to be qualified and how your eternal destiny is dependent on your choices, and that is it requires making and keeping sacred covenants, And it's no secret what LDS leaders have said about the necessity of making and keeping covenants. You're not supposed to take those covenants that you make lightly. You are supposed to keep them. How many Latter-day Saints are keeping them? That becomes the difficulty. And this is why, as an outsider, you can understand my confusion, how this is to be understood by a lot of the women that were listening to Dale Renlund give this talk. When he says... We cannot choose the consequences of not following the revealed path. That sounds pretty cut and dry, doesn't it, Eric? I mean, we can't make up our own rules. I get that. 
In fact, I've brought that up to a lot of Latter-day Saints who try to make up their own rules. They try to say, well, you know, I'm not keeping all the commandments, but I'm trying. Well, does it say you're going to get celestial glory by merely trying to keep the commandments? Or does it say you get it by keeping all the commandments? These are the challenges that I like to raise with Latter-day Saints. I'm not trying to make them feel guilty. It's just the fact that their own law is making them feel guilty. That's the problem of being under law. And we are not under law. We are under grace where mercy really has meaning. Yeah, I think the idea of trying is not going to be good enough according to what LDS Scripture teaches and what uh, leaders have taught. That last part of the young women theme As I strive to qualify for exaltation, I cherish the gift of repentance and seek to improve every day. Well, improving every day is not going to be good enough if you don't do everything that the Scripture says, that you're supposed to keep the commandments continually, and unless you do this, where I am, you cannot come, according to D&C 25. I think you're right. Uh, Sometimes he seems to be straightforward with what he's saying, and other times it's really confusing, which is very common, I think, with many of the general conference talks. This is why when I'm talking with a Latter-day Saint, I want to let them know that for me, words have meaning. So you can't just throw something out there like when a Latter-day Saint says, well, we're saved by grace. What do you mean you're saved? How do you describe that? And what do you mean by grace? How is that applied? You talk about the atonement. Well, what are the benefits of the atonement? When do those benefits actually kick in for you as a member of the LDS Church? You see, it's important for us, if we're going to communicate with our LDS counterparts, to make sure that we understand each other. When words are used, both of us have to come to some conclusion as to what those words really mean. I guess you could say we have to somewhat agree on the definition of those words. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.